You almost took a nap and forgot? I thought the rain would keep you away. No. Oh, good. Hey, if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up Psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 46, 47, and 48. So open up to Psalms first. Put your finger there. Then you need to flip to Isaiah 36 and 37 because we're going to start there. And uh, I want to take the opportunity to read to you the background of what's going on in Psalm 46, 47, and 48. And hopefully uh, challenge us a little bit as we consider, um, I don't know about you guys, but at least I've been challenged of late, uh, going through the Word, working my way through the Word with the, the concept of why, uh, I don't know, it seems like the church is quick to quit, and we throw up our hands, which is not necessarily a, a bad thing, and we throw up our eyes and we look for Jesus and we look for his return. And I am certainly excited about those things. Am I think going crazy? It's on my shirt funny. I might be able to fix it. Anyway, we, I'm excited about looking for the Lord's return, but then we're not doing anything. We, we have decided that the world's so bad, there's nothing we can do to change people. And we're not doing the thing Christ called us to. When we come to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, end of all the Gospels, we have a commission. We have a call where God says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples. We're to be salt and light, right? Doesn't God call us to be salt and light in the world? The world, as we may look at the world and we may see the world, we, the world without Christ is going to continue to circle the drain unless we do something about it. And... So, uh, believe that we're looking for the soon return of Christ, but that doesn't mean we're not supposed to do anything. That it's over, the world's just going to keep getting worse, and we're not supposed to be about anything. And when I look at Isaiah 36 and 37, I read the story of Hezekiah and Shennacherib and the challenge that uh, the people faced during that time. It challenges some of that mindset for me. Because we can, we can do a lot more than what we're doing. We can accomplish a lot more. We can make a lot of changes. We can, um, I mean, I don't know, you guys tell me, well, what, what, uh, what value is there in, in one child's life if we uh, stood outside of Planned Parenthood and just said, please don't hurt your baby, we'll help. And what if all day, no, everybody kept going in, but one person stopped? Was, is that worth that effort? Or... If we're sharing our faith with, uh, with uh, folks who are uh, prevalent of other uh, religions that, that, that are false, that don't follow the word of God. But we shared our faith, and, and maybe most of them didn't listen, but one did. What value is there in that? How many lives are affected by that one life? Yeah, there's, and so when we look at it, I think sometimes in the, in the church we get a defeatist attitude. Look, we didn't lose when Christ died and rose again and ascended into heaven. We won. Is, that, is it going to go crazy the whole time? But will that one go crazy? You sure? You're, you're guaranteeing? 
Did that fix it? Huh. It cured it. Let's see what happens. See? Victory. It can happen. The, the point that I, that I want to make is that we, we don't want to be so quick to give up and think, well, the best I can hope for is just to hold the ground I got. Because Christ didn't say, just hold the ground you got till I return. He said, go. Make a difference. Change people's lives. And so sometimes we can look negatively, so negatively on the world, we don't do nothing. We don't go nowhere. We don't share. We don't, we don't do anything. And if we don't do anything, I can guarantee you one thing, nothing will ever change. The, the, while I think that the history of the world is, as we look to the future, going to get worse and worse, it doesn't mean don't do anything to try to change any of it. Because the, the difference I make in somebody's life, that's a lasting difference. The difference that is made in, in somebody who may have perished without uh, our input or someone who may have gone into eternity without Christ, that's a, that's a humongous difference. So as we look at, we consider the issues in our world, okay? Consider the, the enemies uh, against the faith. There's a lot of them. And we look at Psalm 46, 47, and 48. Those are psalms of victory, psalms of praise for God's deliverance out of impossible, <laughs> impossible situations. So we want to recognize that God is able to do that then. He didn't change and say, I can't do that now. So while we may look at impossible situations, really big problems, big issues, it doesn't mean we're supposed to put our head in the sand and pretend nothing's going on, but we're to go. Share the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And it changes who it changes. That part's not our job, right? Jesus sends us. We go. Those who receive, receive. Those who come to faith, they come to faith. Our job wasn't to save anybody. Our job was to what? Go tell. Go share. Well, let's look at Isaiah 36. It says, now, it came to pass in the 14th year, King Hezekiah, that Shennacherib, wouldn't you, that there's a, that, that name is available for your next child, if you'd like to name your child Shennacherib. Uh, I tried to pull that off with Kathy, but she was not going for Shennacherib. But uh, this is around 701 B.C. So, okay, give or take a couple of years. We're looking around 701 B.C. came to pass. 14th year of King Hezekiah, Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So... They've, Assyria has conquered the northern kingdom. Remember, Israel divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom got conquered. Now they're coming south. They're conquering everybody on the way. Now they're right outside of Jerusalem. It is a world power. So Assyria is not just some slouch. They're a world power. Uh, the only reason they don't continue to be a world power is they run into Babylon, who then becomes the next world power. But Assyria is there. They're doing their thing. They're, they're conquering everybody that's coming before them. It says, The king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, household of Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Now that's going to be important. 
Remember the son of Asaph. That, that name's going to be repeated when we get to Psalms. Then Rabshakeh said, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? I say, you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are just words. Now in whom do you trust that you would rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed. Egypt on which, if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? For the Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. And Eliakim, Shebna, Joah, and Reb, said to Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to your master? And to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall, who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Then the Rebshekah stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. So we got a big problem, right? A big issue. An enemy that's really undefeatable for Israel, who's conquered everybody they've ever faced. In fact, while this is all going on historically, Egypt is going to come against Assyria, and Assyria is going to whoop Egypt, and then come back to, to Jerusalem. So they're, the, they're done. They had, none of their allies are going to help them. They have no hope. The problem is humongous. And so the, the one proclaiming 
the Reb Shekha. He says, no God can deliver you. He says it so all the people can hear. He wants to instill panic in them and the concept that there's nothing they can do. It's, it's lost. The battle's lost. The battle's lost. But you know, in reality, the battle was always lost. Remember on Sunday we talked about the disciples rowing at the, at the storm. But in their own strength, they were never going to conquer the storm, were they? No, they're rowing and they're putting all of their effort into it. But until Jesus steps in the boat, it's all self-effort and they're not getting anywhere. They're actually, actually getting blown somewhere else. The moment Jesus is in the boat, what happens? They're on the shore, the water's calm, everything's good. So all victory comes through Jesus Christ, right? All victory comes through Jesus Christ. All victory comes through the Lord God Almighty. All victory in anything we face today, all victory on the political front, comes through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. His ability to deliver. Is God able to deliver or not? All ability to see successful and real change happen in the lives of people happens through the power of Jesus Christ. Does God want to do that? Is that God's will that people's hearts would turn to him? The Bible tells us it's the will of God that all men everywhere would be saved. So when we go forth, even in a place where, where the world may hate or despise us, is there chance for victory? Does Jesus want to give us victory? Will he empower us to do what he's asking us to do? So we want to recognize that the battle was always something that required more than us. Just like it was for them. They're not going to beat Assyria. They don't have a chance. Everybody knows they don't have a chance. Assyria knows it. Hezekiah knows it. All the people who are involved know it. But look at what happens in chapter 37. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. So the king humbles himself, takes off his royal robes, tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, which is a a statement of humility, uh, submitting themselves to God and seeking God for direction. (laughs) And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah. The prophet, the son of Amos. That's what we're reading in Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, they go to. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come forth, uh, the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to reproach um, the living God, and will rebuke. The words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So King Hezekiah sends these guys to go to Isaiah to say, Isaiah, the prophet, pray for us. Pray that God help us. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, so this is a prophecy from Isaiah. Words speaking that the Lord laid on his heart. Thus, you will say to your master, say this to Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. With which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me, surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And that prophecy is actually going to be fulfilled, just like God said it was going to be fulfilled. So they pray, they get a word from the Lord, 
Don't worry about what he says. Don't worry about what he does. You just believe. Just trust me. Just trust. Same thing Jesus is saying to the church. Trust me. The world's fallen. It's broken. Full of broken people. Broken people break other people. Hurt people hurt people. It's what happens. It's happening all around us, all the time, every day. People are perishing, going into eternity without Christ. But Christ has provided the victory. But he's also given it to our hands, as his hands and feet. When he went to feed the 5,000, who did he give the food to? Did the food just float out to the people? The Bible says Jesus took it, blessed it, broke it, and then what did he do? He gave it to the disciples. And the disciples take it and give it. And the same thing has occurred. We have received the victory in Christ. Jesus Christ has, is, the, is the answer that people are, are in need of. We have the answer. We've been given the bread of life. Now we're asked to go and share that. To go take it to the lost. To go take it to those who will listen. Well, look at verse 8, chapter 37. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Tirhaka, king of Ethiopia. He has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you will speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard all the kings of Assyria have done uh, to all lands, utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Seraim, the Hena, and Eva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying. So Hezekiah took all the problems, all the things the other guy was saying, all the insurmountable tasks, the differences that we cannot make. And he just laid it out before the Lord. And he prays. And this is what he prays. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, You are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So incline your ear, O Lord, hear, open your eyes, O Lord, and see, hear all the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods. But the work of men's had wood and stone, therefore they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. So he lays it out, God, you're the one who can give the victory. God's the only one who can give the victory. He always was the only one who could give the victory. That has never changed. He can give us victory today. and give us victory over the challenges that the church faces. He can give us victory over the issues that are going on in the world. He, he's going to use us. How will they hear? If no one is sent. If nobody preaches. No one heralds. No one shares. No one gives. No one does the work that God is calling to. They won't hear. 
Well, it says, Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Shennacherib, this is the word of the Lord concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. <clears throat> whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have reproached the Lord and said, By a multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down the tall cedars and its choice cypress. I will enter its furthest height uh, to its fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water. And with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Did you not hear long ago how I made it? From ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb and the grass on the housetops and the grain blighted before it's grown. So God's saying, look, <clears throat> I made Jerusalem and I made you. And I gave you victory over all those other nations that you're so proud about defeating. But I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips. And I will turn you back by the way which you came. And God literally does that to him. Shennacherib literally goes back. You can read the rest of the, of the history of what's going on with him. He's literally going to go back and he's going to be killed by his own people in the land of Assyria. This will be a sign to you. You will eat this year such as grows of itself. And the second year what springs from the same. And in the third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward, bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king, he shall not come into the city, he will not shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way he came, he shall return. He shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it, for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So, he's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver the city from the hand of the Assyrians. And we all remember the story, don't we? He tells Shennacherib, Shennacherib goes home, but the scripture says, The angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. So Shennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went away, returned home, remained at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, that his sons Adramelech and Sharazar struck him down by the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. There Irshadon his son, or then Irshadon his son, raised, uh, reigned in his place. Now, I just want to give you the background. It's a possible battle. God delivers through his hand. He's able to give the victory and grant the victory. And what occurs as a result of that, we read in Psalms. So if you look over at Psalm 46, 47, and 48, we come to the Psalms, the Psalms of praise. And what are they doing? They're proclaiming God's victory over the Assyrians, all three. 
All three are written by who? The chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. A psalm of the sons of Korah. A psalm of the sons of Korah. Remember Joah, uh, the son of Asaph, is one of the guys. Asaph we're going to see also later on as another one of the worship leaders uh, who wrote within the psalm. So they're going to write about it. Here's what they write. Now this is worship that springs out of what occurred, what happened historically. It says in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That true? Man, after that, the, the incredible victory that God delivered, the, the strength that God gave, the, the deliverance that came by the hand of the Lord that, over an obstacle that they couldn't remove. That's no different than, than the victory that God can give us today over the things, the challenges that we face today. It's God who does it, but he's going to work it through our hands. How does the gospel go forth? You've got to go to the book of Revelation to see angels doing it. Until that time, whose job is it? It's our job. Is it our job to save? No. What's it our job to do? To tell. What's the important thing to tell? The important thing to tell and to share is the gospel, the good news. The good news of what Christ has done. The good news of what Christ accomplished. And he will give victory. It says, therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So just think of the picture he's painting. Even though the whole world's on fire. The mountains have fallen down, the seas are flooded, everything cosmically is upside down and sideways and tore up, and, and all chaos has broken loose. We won't be afraid, because God is with us. So even in the midst of all this cosmic upheaval, I'm not afraid, because God's with me. God's with me. This is the psalm that springs forth. From the battle with Shennacherib. In verse 4. He says there is a river. Whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the most high. For God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. So literally what he's saying is. All of these things are, 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 are uh, descriptions of judgment. So God brought the Assyrians. Remember he said, I gave you victory over all those other places. God was using the Assyrians as his tool for judgment against other nations. But when they came where they could not cross, they, that's where it stops. So basically the psalmist is saying, even though judgment has come, I don't have to be afraid. Because I'm with God. I'm in the presence of God. Every man, woman, and child who has ever lived will face judgment. One of those judgments will be terrible, and one of those judgments won't. The difference between the judgments is who's with you. If you're standing alone before the great white throne, that's a scary place to be. If you're standing with Christ at the judgment seat, that's not a scary place to be. 
If you're with Christ, you're covered by his blood. That God sees you as though you were Christ. That's what the scripture declares. He imputes to you. He puts into your account what's not there. You guys get what I'm saying? He puts into your account what's not there. He sees you as though you were his son. By your faith, by trusting in his son, he imputes that to your account. It's called justification. Salvation occurs. We don't have to be afraid. Even though all this stuff happens after the night, what's it say? God will help her just at the break of dawn. In just the right time, in just the right way, God's help will come. We don't have to be afraid. What are we supposed to be doing? Well, we just keep doing what we're supposed to do. The children of Israel just continue doing business. Don't worry about Shennacherib out there. I'll take care of him. What are we supposed to do? Just keep moving forward. Keep doing the things that Christ has asked us to do and await God's deliverance. But until that point, we're busy. We're sharing. We're sounding the trumpet. We're telling people about the love of Christ wherever we can. Verse 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. I always love it when he's called the God of Jacob. I am the God of the little liars. I'm the God of the broken people. I'm the God of the little deceivers running around causing trouble. I like that God was never ashamed to be known as the God of Jacob. Never ashamed to be known as him. And so he says, the God of of Jacob, he's our refuge. He's our strength. He is with us, the Lord of hosts. Yahweh Sabaoth. The Lord of the angel armies. One angel did how much damage? 185,000. Remember how many Jesus said he could call? 12 legions. That's a lot. Lots and lots. Is he going to need that many? I don't think so. So is he victorious? Sure he is. So what do we do about it? We do what he's asked us to do. We do what he's asked us to do. We look for his strength, his power, him moving in our midst, him taking and moving the mountains, him providing the victory uh, over the different things that challenge uh, the church today. We don't have to be afraid. And we'll sing psalms like this. God gave us the victory. What a great thing would that be to say? Look, there are some things we'll never have victory over because Jesus said you won't. The poor you will have with you always, Jesus said. So are we going to defeat poverty? No. But can we feed people? Yeah. Will God give us a victory in that? Will he do things beyond our ability? Meet people's needs in places we don't even, can't even pronounce the name of, but can he use us to meet their needs? Absolutely. Can he bring victory because of his power, because God's people were willing to move in his name and see it done? <clears throat> Absolutely. The Lord of hosts is with us. Do we have to be afraid? You don't have to be afraid. Does the world hate you? Sure. So what? Is a bunch of people from ISIS going to move to Idaho? Maybe. A bad choice of all the places you can go. Idaho is probably not the best one. Everybody here has got a gun. We'll see how all that works out. But we have to be afraid? We don't have to be afraid. Why? Because the, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies is with us. He's our refuge. He'll give us victory. Does our job change? 
No. Proclaim the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Share the truth. We don't got to be afraid. For some reason, we think, we think it's, it's arrogant to, to tell somebody that, that we have the truth. It's, it's, it's not arrogant. You should tell people you have the truth. We're, we worry too much, I think. We worry too much about offending people. Look, if you offend people because you're a butthead, stop doing that. But if you offend people because of what the Word of God says, that's not your problem. That's offending people with the truth. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. Don't be afraid to share what the, what the Bible really says. And if you're not sure and you don't understand it, tell me. Jackie, you know, I'm not really not sure. I'll say, let's get together. I meet with a bunch of guys every Tuesday morning at 6 in the morning. I meet with another guy every Wednesday morning at 6 in the morning out in Twin. Just for the purpose of discipleship. Just for the purpose of trying to help people understand the things so that they can be a better witness. If 6 in the morning don't work for you, we'll find another time. But the point is, we don't, we don't need, in the, in the church, we don't need more excuses. <laughs> we need more men and women willing to say, I'm going to be and do what God, so I can sing this psalm. I don't have to be afraid God's with me. I don't have to be afraid God's with me. Look what it says in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Come see all the things that God has done. Who made desolations in the earth. He made war to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Look, the God of peace will make wars cease. God of peace will do it. So what do we do? What if the war is still going on? Well, it doesn't have nothing to do with our commission. We go. We teach. We share. We, we exhort. We convince. We rebuke. Be ready. In season and out of season. I charge you therefore to the mercies of God. Preach the word. You can define it this way. Proclaim the gospel. Tell people your God story. What did God do in your life? How has God worked in your life? Share the truth. Look what he says in verse 10. Be still and know I am God. Is God able to give victory? Yeah. Is he able to stop the the horrors of abortion? Sure. How's he going to do it? Through his people. His people in prayer, like Hezekiah prayed. His people willing to step out. His people willing to share their faith. That's how it changes. The world doesn't change because we pass new laws or we get laws to change. That's not ever going to do nothing. You cannot uh, manipulate uh, people into morality. How do you change the morality of a nation? Introduce them to Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not that hard. And what's our job? To go proclaim. Not to save, go proclaim. God does the saving. Go proclaim, share, tell. And we can sing this psalm. Be still and know that I am God. What's he say? I will be exalted among the Gentiles. I will be exalted among the goyim, the nations. I will be exalted in how much of the earth? All of the earth. Does it sound victorious? 
I will be exalted. I will be exalted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So the first psalm springs out of God's victory. The people didn't even do nothing. God did it all. The people were, were just willing. And as they were willing, God was able to do, to move, to be uh, who he needed to be to grant victory. So we have this incredible opportunity to sing this great psalm about God's ultimate deliverance. And we can have that as, as men and women of the church today if we too are willing to go forward in, in victory and proclaim the victory that Christ wrought on the cross. A victory over sin. The ability to transform lives, to change lives, to change our world as much as we can until Christ returns. This is the message that God has called us to. Psalm 47, again, a psalm dealing with the story that we read in Isaiah. Oh, you guys all know this. I want to sing it every time I read it. You guys know this song? Clap your hands, all you people, shout to them. Nobody knows it? I'm the only one? Okay. This is the psalm. Another psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you people, shout to, to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord most high is awesome. He is the great king over how much of the earth? All the earth. All the earth. Not, not just one corner. Not just one piece. Not just one place. All the earth. Does God want to give victory all around the world to people who are willing to go forward and share the gospel? Absolutely he does. How's that victory accomplished? When God's people move forward. When God's people don't just throw up their hands and say there's nothing we can do. When God's people say, there is something we can do. We share the gospel. The gospel changes. I don't, I, I don't need to worry about politics. The politics will always be a mess. I don't need to worry about what laws and what laws are and what laws aren't. If the gospel gets into people's hearts, the laws won't matter. Amen. Won't matter. It's the gospel that changes people. So God is able. He is able to do it all. He will subdue the people's under us, the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us. The excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. That's such a, a twist of words. You get the excellence of the little liars. The excellence of the little broken guys. The guys who are a mess. The excellence of, but the part that isn't, a, 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 isn't somewhat strange is this concept. Whom he what? Loves. Does, does God love you? Does God love you as much as he loved Jacob? In this we know the love of God, what? When we were sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Christ died. In this, the love of God is made manifest to us. When you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. We had done nothing good, bad, indifferent. We are all lost, broken messes, just like Jacob. And God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. What did he give? The best he had to give. Not just some schmuck somewhere. His one and only son. That's what only begotten means. His one and only unique son. He gave him. God gave him. He loves us. And he wants to do this work in us. Look, he says in verse 5, this is like a, a picture of a march, of God marching into the city as king. 
God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God is the King of how much? All the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God is the King of all the earth. So does that mean that that God would give us victory if we're if we'll step out? Does God want to see people come to Christ? Does God want to see salvation expressed in people's lives? Yeah. The only thing that holds it back is us. All we have to do is go. Just like Jesus sent the disciples out, remember? He sent them out two by two. And he said, where you're received, stay. And where you're rejected, shake off the dust. It's like wipe yourself off. Say, okay, I'm not going to dwell on the, the losses. I'm not going to dwell on the people who rejected or the people who won't listen or the people who won't hear. I'm going to clean off the dust and I'm going to go to the next person. It's not my responsibility to do the saving. It's my responsibility to do what? The telling. The telling. That's all. I have to be willing. I need to be willing to do the telling. For God is king so sing praises with understanding look at verse 8 god reigns over the nations the goyim god reigns over the gentiles the 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 psalms are especially when we talk about the victory like this there are always psalms that that talk about god's reigning he's ruling he's in charge is god sovereign or not sovereign Sure he is. If he is sovereign and God is able, then does God want to move? Does God want to work? Does God want to do things in our life? Is he calling us to be active participants in what God's plan is and purpose is in our community? Look, I live in Buell. I'm really not going to change the world too much out there. But I can change the world a lot right here. But if, if my attitude is, well, who am I? Then I'm not ever going to do anything. And I'm just marking time. And I'm, and I'm not putting into practice the truth that God's word says. That God wants to be victorious. That God is sitting on the throne. That God is ruling. That God will grant to us a, a, a plan and purpose if we will just simply step out. Just simply go and be and do what it is that God is asking us to go and be and do. The princes of the people have gathered together. The idea is that under God there will be one people. Do we read that in the scriptures? There is neither barbarian, Scythian, slaver, free, uh, Gentile, Jew, man, woman, all are one in Christ. Right? One person, one people. He's going to gather all the peoples together. The people of the God of Abraham. So he's going to gather them all under one name. What does Romans 4.11 tell us? That, that all men and women who come to faith in Jesus Christ are called sons of Abraham. That Abraham is the father of all who believe. Just like the psalmist is telling us here. He's saying, hey, they're all going to come. It will be one people. They'll all come under the name of Abraham from the shields of the earth. Or for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted the point is that god gets the glory we don't get the glory a city doesn't get the glory a people doesn't get the glory god gets the glory <laughs> who got the victory god did who beat Shennacherib? god did 
Who saves the souls all around every day today who come to salvation? God does. He does. All he needs is people willing to do what he's asked. I will go. I'll share. I will open my mouth and tell somebody about what God means to me. Hey, you run into an argument you don't know. They're, they're easy to solve. They're not really that complex. It's amazing. It's the same arguments people have been throwing around for years. And if someone wants to reject what the Word of God says, it's okay. It's not my, I, didn't, I can't save them. Can I save them? What, do I, what can I do? I can tell them. I can tell them. I can, I can be ready to give a defense for the hope that's in me. Why do I hope in God? This is why I hope in God. Oh, they either receive it and I stay, they reject it, I go to the next. But that's what God is asking of us. That's what God is desiring from us all. Look, one person will make a difference. If one person makes a difference, how much will 10 people make? What about 20? Or what about 30 people? If, everybody, if we all just said, you know, I believe what God's word says, and he wants to, to give us the victory, even though the, 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 the enemy seems impossible to beat. All I have to do is be willing to be a vessel for God. And I may get to sing one of these psalms. And praise God, look what he did. Look at the difference he made. Look at the difference he made in my children. Look at the difference he made in my neighborhood. Look at the difference he made in my town, in my, in my state, in my country, in the country where God sent me, whatever the case may be. Look at the difference God made because men and women were willing to be used of God. Look at Psalm 48. Again, a psalm of the same time period. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God in his holy mountain. Well, where, where's he talking about? Jerusalem, right? Great is the Lord. Greatly to praise in the city of God. Two cities. City of God and the city of the world. City of God is Jerusalem. City of the world throughout all the prophets is called Babylon. The city in rebellion against God and the city of God. Great is he to be praised in the city of our God. Beautiful in elevation. Jerusalem is on a mountain. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. On the sides of the north, the city of the great king. For God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. God's presence is in her. God is their king. God is their protection. God is their shield. Again, the same way. God is the deliverer. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who grants the victory. God is the reason why we're praising we're praising for what took place. Look at verses 4 through 7 because it, it's going to follow in line just with what we read in Isaiah. For behold, the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it and so they marveled. They were troubled and they hurried away. Fear took hold of them there and the pain as of a woman in birth pangs. And when you break the, <coughs> the ships of Tarshish, with it, or as when you break the ships of Tarshish, with an east wind. So he's saying the kings came. They saw this crazy thing happen. Everybody freaked out and went home. Just like they would if they were coming down to the, to the harbor. And the, and the ships from Tarshish. And the wind blew through and just crunched them all. Yep, we're going home. I'm not getting on a boat today. 
bad day to get on a boat. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. That's what the Shennacherib, that's what the armies did. That's what they did as they went their own way. So we see God in the city. And we see God giving them victory over their enemies. Verses 4 through 7. Then in verse 8 we see God and their worship. Look what it says. And we have heard, so we have seen. We have heard. Remember we read? Isaiah gave prophecy. Hey, it's what's going to happen. Shennacherib's going to go home. Uh, Don't worry about it. I'm going to send him back. And now the people are saying, we heard the prophecy spoken of by Isaiah, and we saw it with our eyes fulfilled. Shennacherib went home. God gave the victory. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. He moves on and says, it's the love of God. That has delivered his people. Look, we have thought, O oh God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple. And according to your name, O oh God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. So let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgment. See, singing praise, recognizing that it's a loving kindness. It's the chesed. It's the agapeo. Of God that delivered them because God loved us. He has delivered us. Did any of us come to salvation any other way? We all come to salvation that way. We all come to salvation. Why? Because God loved us. Great is the love of the Lord. It's raining, huh? I can always tell because the alarm goes off. It's raining. is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So look where he goes on in verse 12. Walk about Zion. So they're going to take a walk about around the city. Walk about Zion and go all around her and counter towers. Look at the wall. Look at the towers. Look at all the, the stuff we had to keep the enemy out. Mark well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation forever. Look, it's all still standing. Assyria was here, they're out there, they're going to wipe us out. They're going to take all this down. Walk around, tour. Not one arrow came over the wall. Not one rock chipped it. Not one part of the battle began. Why? Because the battle belonged to the Lord. And so the Lord gave victory. The battle belonged to the Lord, and so the Lord did His perfect work. So as we look at the three Psalms... And we see the praises that the people are uttering. It's because God gave them victory over an impossible situation. Something that they couldn't do in and of themselves. A a plan they couldn't come up with. If they leaned on Egypt, Egypt gets whooped. If If they lean on somewhere else, there's no one else who can deliver. Only God. Only God can deliver His church. Only God can give victory to His church on the variety of... Of issues that plagues the church today. How's that victory come? Same way it came for them. What Hezekiah do? He laid it all out and he prayed. He prayed. So what happens when God's people pray? The Bible tells us that the fervent prayer of what kind of man? Of a righteous man does what? Veils much, right? What's fervency? Fervency is passion. 
You want to see fervent prayer? Just light a fire under somebody. You get fervent prayer. What do you mean? Well, if you're a parent, let one of your kids get sick. Does the passion in your prayers change? If you're someone you love is going through a hard time, does the passion of your prayer change? When people are going through heartache that you care about, does the passion of your prayer change? So the Bible says a passionate prayer of a righteous man. What makes you righteous? Jesus Christ makes me righteous. You righteous on your own? There's no way you're righteous on your own. There's no righteousness. You have no righteousness of your own. Any righteousness you have is because God has given it to you. God gives you righteousness. Is your relationship with the Lord right? That's what's being asked. Are you right with God? Are you made righteous in Him? Is He your treasure? Is He your value? If so then that fervent, passionate prayer of a righteous man will accomplish much. But what does the Bible go on to tell us? You have not. Why? Because you ask not. So the indictment is, the reason the victory is not being accomplished is because God's people are not praying. They say the average prayer time of a preacher... A week is less than 20 minutes. That's not very much, by the way. The smallest attended studies that we have are prayer meetings. Still have one Friday morning at 6. And we pray at all the discipleship stuff that we got going on and all the studies we got going on and have an open time of prayer where everybody's able to pray. And it's not, the only way to pray is not to show up and pray corporately, but there's value between God's people praying corporately. Are we praying? You have not because you ask not. Or because you ask amiss. How do we ask amiss? The Bible tells us we ask amiss because we want to spend it on our own pleasure. We are praying for our pleasure and our ease. That our life would be better, easier, softer. But what is it that Hezekiah was praying for? That God would give victory over their enemies. That God would give them victory over the impossible situations. That God would give them victory over the giants that they couldn't beat. And so God gave victory. So we have not because we ask not or because we ask amiss to spend it on our own lusts. That's what the Bible says about her own people and why we don't see the, the movement of God's power in our lives today. So the good news is that's so easy to fix. Is that not easy to fix? It's easy to fix. All we got to do is make the decision that that we want to experience the same victory that Hezekiah had. And the secret to Hezekiah's victory was prayer. He prayed. Wow. So we pray. And we recognize the thing that God's called us to. 
we recognize the reality that God sent us, right? If, if God's commandments are his enablements, do you believe that? If God told you you could do something, does that mean God empowered you to do it? If Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth, and then the next thing he said was go, does that mean that he gives you what you need to be able to do it? Yeah. He gave it to you. It's already yours. He's already king of the whole earth. He's just ruling in heaven and not here right now. But who is here? You and me. We're here, his ambassadors. Can God give us victory? Yep. All we have to do, lay it out before him. All we have to do is, is say, I'm willing to be hands and feet. I'm willing to be a difference maker for you. I'm willing to share. What's the worst that's going to happen to you in the United States? What's the worst? Somebody going to yell at you? <laughs> Berate you? Make you feel stupid? That's a far cry from what Saeed's going through, right? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? What's the best that can happen? You win a brother. You see things in your world begin to change. Hearts of people being, beginning to change. Lives of children changing because the lives of their parents have changed. Because a, a, a man has become a better father because now he loves Jesus Christ with all his heart. A man has become a better husband because he loves Jesus Christ with all his heart. And their lives change and everybody associated with them lives change. There's so much good that occurs when God's people are willing to be what God's asked them to be. There's so much good that can happen. It's not even worth being compared to the bad that could happen. The bad's small. But we find ourselves sitting in a place uh, feeling like we're not empowered and we're not able. And God hasn't given us strength. And we don't have whatever training we think we might need. And all of those things are so easy to fix. Super easy. Look, all it takes is a willing heart. That's it. I first started coaching football in, well, 19-something. And I remember talking to these kids. They're all grown-ups now with other kids of their own. I don't think they have any grandkids yet, but I'm going to get close. And I remember sitting down with these kids, and I told them, I said, look, guys, none of you guys are any good. The fastest guy on this team runs like a 5-6-40. Uh, none of you are ever going to play in the NFL, barring some kind of miracle. And probably none of you will ever play football after high school. But I'll make you a deal. If you do this thing with a willing heart, before you leave high school, you'll play for the state championship. 
And every one of them got to do it. Not just one time. In my tenure, five times. Five times state in-state championship games. Five times seeing fireworks going off, playing on this huge stage, and not one of them is a superstar. Don't need superstars. You need people who got heart. We don't need Apostle Pauls. We had one. All we need is people who have a heart. All we need is people who are willing to put themselves out there. And your town, whichever one you come from, whether it's Twin Falls, Castleford, Filer, or Buell, your town will change. Your family will change. Things will radically transform. And you'll sing one of those songs. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He did what he told me he would do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.